This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 498. So what we should do before we put out some kind of communication to an audience is say, what am I actually looking to have happen here? So that will sharpen your focus and control the way you put the content in. Is it possible to grab an audience's attention in this noisy, confusing world? Well, according to today's guests, the solution can be summed up in one word, and that word is clarity. Hi, I'm Jeff, and this is the Read to Lead podcast, the podcast that's dedicated to your personal and professional growth, where I believe if you want to achieve true success in business and in life, then intentional and consistent reading is a must. Our guest today is my friend Steve Woodruff. He's author of a book called The Point, How to Win with Clarity-Fueled Communications. I'll ask Steve to share about his Clarity Fuel Formula rules, his Clarity Fuel Formula tools, applying Clarity Best Practices in specific situations, and much, much more. Back in mid-September, I was joined by over 100 Read to Lead community members to read through a book we featured last week called Leadership is Overrated. And we met with the authors just a couple weeks ago for a private conversation. We're doing that again. The book we're reading right now is called Read This or Die, Persuading Yourself to a Better Life. It's written by Ray Edwards with Jeff Goins. We'll be gathering with Jeff and Ray to talk about their book in a private discussion on Thursday, November 9th at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. And even if you haven't been able to read the book along with us, we're still going to invite you to join us for that conversation. You're sure to learn a lot. And I would encourage you to pick up the book between now and then on your own. Again, it's called Read This or Die. To make sure you're on the invitation list, either sign up for my email list by going to readtoleadpodcast.com and simply entering your name and email address in the form at the upper right of the main page. Or you can also right now join the Read to Lead community for the foreseeable future by going to jeffbrown.me. Your first two weeks are free. And then if you decide to stick around, it's just $9 a month after that. And these monthly discussions are just one facet of a multitude of opportunities to learn from me and others in the community each and every month. One more time, that address is jeffbrown.me. Steve Woodruff is known as the King of Clarity. 37 years in the front lines of sales, marketing, consulting, and entrepreneurship has uniquely equipped him to guide others in the principles and practices of clear and effective communication. He has deep experience in corporate training and workshop facilitation for a wide variety of companies from startups to top five pharma. And he's the author of the business book, Clarity Wins from 2018. He appeared on this show to talk about that book back then. He's the father of five grown men and lives in Franklin, Tennessee with his wife of 42 years. His new book is called The Point, How to Win with Clarity-Fueled Communications. What well, is my pleasure to welcome you back to the podcast. I guess it's been maybe five years or so, maybe four years since you were here last, Steve. Welcome to interview number two of the Read to Lead podcast. Yeah, it, it may be every five years or so. It's, it seems like uh, I'm not the kind of guy that can release a book every year. I've got a, gest- <laughs> a long gestation period. So the first book was 2018 and uh, this new book, The Point, uh, here in October 2023. So, but we'll have to, we'll have to get together sometime before. Or the next book. I mean, we're really not that far apart. <laughs> yeah, we live so close together. It's amazing that we haven't run into each other accidentally. 
even even though we haven't been able to on purpose, you would think eventually we'd just run into each other accidentally. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of like you. My book came out a couple of years ago. And if I write another one, I, I can see it being another two or three years before that one comes out for sure. So I identify with that. It's it, Writing a book is not an easy thing. Well, being the guy who talks about a subject that's right up my alley, having spent you know 26 years as a professional communicator in radio uh, and now a podcaster and oftentimes helping other podcasters get launched and understanding what it means to communicate to an audience and draw an audience, I'm really excited to talk to you about this topic. And where I want to begin, Steve, is with uh, some of the communication challenges we face in 2023. What are some of the more common barriers we face today? Uh, I mean, one of the most obvious ones that comes to my mind is just information overload or noise, right? What are some of the things that we need to be aware of that maybe aren't as obvious that are that are getting in our way of being effective communicators, would you say? Well, overload is, to me, the biggest thing. Um, there is so much competition out there and it is exponentially increasing every year. Uh, in fact, the, the threat of a tsunami of AI content makes me just want to get sick. Uh, so the number of channels, the number of sources, the number of screens, the number of streams, uh, it's really insane how much stuff we're surrounded with. But what that means for any company or any individual is we've got this enormous amount of competition for attention. And it makes our job harder and harder, the more and the louder that the noise is. So the big question for any communicator, whether it's a professional communicator or just a professional who needs to communicate, mm. is how do I rise above that? And how do I make my message compelling and sticky for my audience? And this is an evergreen growing challenge. This is not going away. Mm. Sort of springboarding from that, one of my favorite quotes from the book uh, that you include from others was, uh, by the way, I like that you begin each chapter with an epigraph. I learned what those are called when I wrote a book uh, where there's a a quote at the beginning of the chapter that kind of encapsulates the chapter. Right. Uh, This is not one of those, I don't think, but but, uh, Mel Rosoff, is it? Is that how you say? Mm -hmm. Kind of going with what you were saying, the average attention of the modern human being is about as half as long as whatever you're trying to tell them. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. As effective communicators, what do we need to understand about the brain, about neuroscience and, and how the brain works to do this and do it well? Neuroscience is the key, actually. Um, and in coming up with a formula for clear communications, which is what this book is all about, is a simple, mm. applicable formula. It's based on brain science. And the brain science, the numbers are a little frightening. Uh, when you first hear them. The human brain is processing 11 million bits of information per second from all five senses. Mm. And that is downright scary. Mm. None of us are even conscious of how this happens. Why is this going on? (laughs) But there is that amount of stimulation. And we're not even talking about the tsunami of external noise. This is just whatever's coming into our brain from our senses, along with everything else that's pouring in into those senses. So, The key is, though, that if I'm having a focused conversation with you, it's a 60-bit information flow. We can focus on 60 bits. And that means that any communication that I make, whether it's being as a presenter or sending an email or being a podcast or whatever, I've got to win the 60-bit battle. I've got to gain that focus. And I'm up against 11 million bits of competition, (laughs) which means that whatever I'm doing has to be compelling, has to be interesting, has to be brain-friendly, 
because there's a lot of alternatives out there. Mm. And unless I'm getting quickly to the point, I will lose my opportunity to earn focus, which means we've lost all the opportunity of that communication. Uh, so I, I was surrounded in radio by some really wise consultants, uh, one of them named John Frost. And, and so much of what you're talking about here echoes what I learned from John back in my days in radio. Compelling, interesting. What worked then works now, right? That hasn't changed. What has changed is the amount of, as you said, information we're being bombarded with. And with all that information, my radio career ended in part because I decided radio was losing that battle mm-hmm. <laughs> for, for being at the forefront of people's mind. Anyway, a little sidetrack moment there. But uh, Steve divides the book into, into three parts. Or, no, is it four parts? It's four parts. Uh, part one is our formidable communication challenges. That's what we've spent our time talking about thus far. Part two, we're going to talk about next, the clarity fuel formula rules. Part three, the clarity fuel formula tools. I love chapters that rhyme mm-hmm. or parts that rhyme. Uh, and applying clarity best practices. We'll talk a, little, a bit about that as well. So uh, let's walk through, if we can, each of the clarity fuel formula rules. It's not easy to say very fast. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's have you unpack those one at a time, starting with you shall. I love how they sound like commandments. You shall have a point. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> well, the funny thing is that I, I do the unexpected. I always start with rule number two. Because everybody understands rule number two, which is get to the point. Ah, You've okay. got to get to the point. And the reason why is because of what I mentioned with the brain science and because our brains have this wonderful neurobiological filter called the reticular activating system, the RAS. And the function of the RAS is to make that 60-bit decision, that focus. And it is looking for, it's tuned to one radio station, WIIFM. What's in it for me? So the key to grabbing attention is relevance. I've got to let people know what is important, why this matters, where we're going. It's got to be important to them. And that is the key to the front door of people's minds and attention. Mm. I have to front load what I am saying with relevance. In other words, I got to get to the point. Mm. Now, that doesn't mean being rude and brusque <laughs> and, and just, you know, dumping something on people without any kind of emotional intelligence. But what it does mean is we don't have unlimited time to secure attention. Mm. So we've got to very quickly get to the point. And where this becomes practical, the first place I point to with anybody in my workshops is email. Mm. There's visual real estate that you have when you send an email in somebody's inbox, it's the subject line and maybe the first sentence. That's what they're going to see. And the battle of the inbox is people are going to skim and delete, skim and delete. Mm -hmm. And unless my email has something interesting, relevant, maybe a deadline, maybe something that's intriguing, I may not even be seen. Mm -hmm. And so this becomes an immediately applicable lesson in something we all use all the time. Email. Tell people right away why they should open your email. And don't wait until six paragraphs down to get to the point. That's too late in a very busy world. So all of us have experienced sitting in a meeting or sitting in a presentation or whatever and said, man, well, I just wish this person would get to the point. And it's extremely frustrating to be around people that cannot articulate where they're going and why I should be listening. My wife tells me all the time that I include way too much detail when I speak. Yep. <laughs> Just get to the point. So 
get to the point. You shall have a point. Yes. So let's going stepping backwards to to rule one. You shall have a point. Many times, as we know, people are talking and talking and we don't know. They don't even know if they have a point. (laughs) And so there's something kind of floating around in their head and they're hoping it'll come out of their mouths and somebody will figure it out. But that's not good communication. Mm. If you come on a radio program, if you were a DJ and you just started spewing out nonsense and talking about random things and not even introducing songs and nobody's going to listen to that. So. I give a little trick for people to try to articulate what your point is. And it's a very simple trick called the A to B shift. So my audience, one or many, is thinking a certain way, feeling a certain way, and acting a certain way right now. As a result of this communication, how do I want them to think differently, feel differently, and act differently? When I can articulate that end result, that desired shift, that is the point. The point is the shift. Mm. And so what we should do before we put out some kind of communication to an audience is say, what am I actually looking to have happen here? So that will sharpen your focus and control the way you put the content in. If it's not aiming toward that end, get rid of it and make sure that you have a very sharp point of the spear when you're communicating. Uh, The next one, you shall get the point across. Talk a bit about that. Well, here's the thing with communications. We can dump information out there. We can even speak the same language. We can use common words, but that doesn't mean we have the same meaning in our heads. Mm -hmm. As you know, all of us have a subjective set of experiences, feelings, definitions, thoughts, And we might be nodding our heads and sharing words, but we may not be sharing understanding at all. So one of the keys to being a great communicator is never, ever assuming that people have understood. Mm. Always assume people haven't understood. And that's not saying assume people are dumb. Assume that people are distracted and maybe have other things in their minds. And so what this calls us to do is to illustrate and define and elaborate and explain. So if you're going to use an acronym, if like, what's in it for me? If I had just thrown out W-I-I-F-M, maybe 90% of your listeners would know what that is. Mm. 10% would be going, what in the world is he talking about? (laughs) And so I've got to say W-I-I-F-M is what's in it for me Mm. because it's courtesy. It's, It's being kind to people when you explain what you mean and not leave them out in the cold, not understanding. So Mm. misunderstandings need to be prevented by skillful communication. And the, the trick I use most is this one, this little phrase, and what I mean by that is. Mm. So if I'm going to use a word or explain a concept, I'll follow that up many times with, and what I mean by that is, and then say it a different way Mm. or say it with a story or say it with a picture to make sure that I'm achieving real understanding and hopefully memory, not just throwing words around. And then related to that, uh, the last one, and sometimes you can take this literally, I guess, uh, is you shall get on the same page. <laughs> Correct. Most of our planned communications, and I'm, I'm not talking about you know just talking across the fence with neighbors. And, uh, I'm talking about planned communications. But most of our professional communications are planned. They're intentional. They have yeah. a purpose. And What we want to do with our communication is we want to reach alignment. We want to reach agreement. 
We want to reach action. And one of the biggest flaws of communicators is people know they want to get everyone on the same page, but nobody makes the page. (laughs) The page is a written summary. It's saying, here's what we did talk about. Here's what we did agree on. Here are the steps we're going to take. And so many meetings would be so much better if the person organizing the meeting had a summary page of an agenda of where we're going and shared that and a summary page of what we'd agreed on afterwards. It sounds so simplistic. I almost hesitated to put it in the book, but it's like, This rule is broken all the time. You have 10 people walking out of a meeting and you have 10 different ideas of what's going on and nobody's really aligned on what we're doing. Thank you for unpacking those. I appreciate that. I want to transition now to part three of the book where you you list uh, and and go into detail about a number of, I think you call them simplifiers. Correct. This clarity fuel formula tools. We've talked about the rules. Now it's it's about the tools, the statements, snippets, specifics, et cetera. Maybe as a group, hit on some of those simplifiers, if you would. So the simplifiers in the book, um, the tools really are helps to getting the point across and and securing attention and memory. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you think about ways in which the human brain likes to receive information, mm-hmm. nobody wants to read a white paper all the time. <laughs> it's too dense. It's too much. But what we like is we like stories. The human brain loves mm-hmm. stories. We also like symbolic language, word pictures and analogies. Those appeal to us. We like side-by-sides, comparisons. Well, this is this, but what I'm really talking about is that. If you compare and contrast, you're using an existing memory hook, and mm-hmm. then you're making it easier for someone to process it. Snippets and specifics are little factoids, little things. So if I say the human brain is busy, you might forget that. If I say you're dealing with 11 million bits of information per second and you've got to win the 60-bit battle, that's striking. Mm -hmm. That's memorable. So all of the eight tools, they all start with S, are ways that we can package what we say that turn the light on quickly in the brain, as opposed to just throwing a whole bunch of convoluted stuff and hoping somebody figures it out. Right. I want to highlight, too, a few of the specific situations you outline in the book where clarity best practices can be applied. I was going to highlight or have you hit on email. You've already discussed email, so we'll, we'll, we'll skip that one. What about applying some of these best practices to, uh, say, presentations? Yeah, I've, been through, I've suffered through I don't know how many presentations where I, I'm sitting at a table and you do the math. You say, okay, this individual has, let's say they have an hour and let's say there are 100 people in this room. So that's 101 very expensive people hours. That's a lot. It is. It's a huge investment of money. And if this person is boring or has no real aim or is not engaging, we have wasted an immense amount of resources. So the first few minutes of the presentation, that's the only chance you're going to get to secure that audience. You've got to make sure that you're going to come with something compelling, interesting, intriguing, some kind of great little story, something, some little factoid that wakes everybody up. And you've got to make sure that you are taking them where they are and you're going to bring them somewhere in the first few minutes where they're going to lock in their 60 bits and say, oh, I got to, I got to know this because they all have a smartphone. 
<laughs> if you're if I'm boring in the first couple minutes, I'm done. Um, <laughs> you know, I can't compete with Netflix and and Facebook and email and everything else. Uh-huh. So presenters have to be really, really quick. And the other thing that presenters need to do is not present confusing blocks of information on the screen. Mm -hmm. So this is a huge problem. Presenting way too much text, convoluted drawings, data sets that nobody can see. And now you're competing with your slides. People are trying to figure the slide out <laughs> while trying to listen to you. It's it's very bad practice. So slides ought to be illustrative. You see something, you process it immediately, and I'm the one that's really telling you the slide is just kind of helping in the background. Mm. Don't try to make the slide a white paper to deliver data. It absolutely does not work. Uh, I'm, I'm heavy on the images when it comes to my slides and just a handful of words on the screen, if, if any at all, for sure. Yeah, that's that's a major faux pas. Well, that's what I do, too. And actually, when people ask me, can can I have your can I have your slides? I say, no, you're not. They're not going to help you. It's yeah. they're not they're not data heavy slides. Now, I could send you an outline or you can read the book, but the slides are there as part of my performance. Yeah. They're not the data. Right. And so you can make a slideshow that's a presentation of data to send to somebody. That's what, That can be word heavy. But what you're going to present needs to be much different. And you have to ask the question, if, if you're presenting and using slides uh, that have all that data, in them, then you're really not needed correct. <laughs> as the presenter. We don't That's need correct. you. Just give, just give us the slide. Just send me the slide. If, <laughs> if people can get what they need from the slides, then you're a waste of time. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I, I encourage people to, to view slides not, not in a single way. PowerPoint has unfortunately forced people to think in a certain way. Mm. That slides means I've got to have points, subpoints, a lot of data, blah, 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 blah. Mm. Think about presentation slides, which are extremely simple. And then if you want to make basically a data-heavy set of informational slides, mm-hmm. that's a different thing. Yeah. You can use PowerPoint for both, but don't present heavy data. I want to transition then into, and you, you separate these two. There, there, there's some overlap, I would guess, but you separate from presentations, teaching and training. Um, and I'm asking this one really selfishly as someone who does quite a bit of teaching and training. Talk about applying some of these best practices to that realm. Mm. So when you're teaching and training, my wife is a teacher, uh, I do workshops. There's a kind of a presentation where you're trying to make kind of a big, a big point. You know, this is the, the, you've got the 30 minutes, the 45 minutes, you're really kind of driving home something pretty particular. Often with teaching and training, you're doing a series of things, but the brain works the same way. So a good teacher or trainer has to continually bring in new relevance, new illustrations, new stories, new ways, because it's hard to maintain, as you know, attention for an hour, two hours, three hours. Mm -hmm. So you have to have a sequence of brain-friendly interventions as part of your your thing. So put up a a chart with a, a before and after or a yes, this is like this, no, this is not like this. Tell fresh stories. And so once we understand that the brain wants what it wants, the way it wants it, we can apply these all these principles and tools to every communication endeavor, anything from a 30-second TV ad to a college lecture to a teacher in the middle school. One situation that goes beyond those you just described in, in a way, because it's so 
seemingly one-sided. It's not, but it, it can seem that way. And that's personal branding yes. and, and, and career direction. Uh, right. What about applying some of these techniques to someone who's looking to get noticed or maybe making a career change or just wanting to stand out in some way? That's one of my favorite areas. I've done a lot of work on personal branding and career direction. And my first book, Clarity Wins, actually had a, quite a bit of emphasis on that. Mm -hmm. uh, the new book, The Point, also emphasizes personal branding. The thing with personal branding is to remember this. You're going to get about one pixel of somebody's brain as far as their memory. People <laughs> are not going to remember six things about you. Okay, mm -hmm. You're not that important. So what we've got to do, our challenge as good communication designers and good personal branders, and the same principle for a company brand, we've got to take our main differentiator, our big thing, mm. and plant that in people's minds. That's why I use the term king of clarity. It's a verbal shorthand. It's what I call a memory dart. It's hard to forget it. it I could give you a five-page explanation of what clarity is, but you're not going to remember any of that. You're going to remember, oh, Steve, he's the king of clarity. <laughs> well, with personal branding, people have are going to recommend. They're going to refer and they're going to refer what they remember. You want to put in their minds what you want them to remember, which is some distilled summary of your differentiation, your value, your type of work. That's the way to get ahead because most positions are filled by referral. Most new business happens by referral. And that happens by somebody skillfully planting in the mind of somebody else who you are in a memorable way. Before I go on to ask a couple of questions, Steve, not directly related to the book, I want to say two things. One is uh, when we last talked to Steve, it was about five years ago, November of 2018, uh, we did talk about his book, Clarity Wins. And you can check out that episode via readtoleadpodcast.com slash 243. That's the numbers 243. What have I not asked you about this new book, the point that you want to make sure you have a chance to get across? Anything I, I missed or you would like to make sure that you have a chance to, to mention? There's one overarching perspective that underlies the whole book, and it's that every single one of us has a line written in invisible ink <laughs> on our business card. You don't know it's there, but it's there. Mm. That title is communication designer. Mm. We are all communication designers. We're either good ones or we're not good. <laughs> but in fact, when we write an email, when we do a podcast, when we write a book, when we teach, we are designing the communication. And what we want to do is design it in the most brain-friendly way. Mm. You don't want to dump a haystack on people. You want to give them the needle. And the best favor we can do is design what we say in a way that makes it easy for people to digest it. That means not dumping everything in an unstructured way, but structuring it so you get to the point first, maybe expand it a little bit, and then let people get to the details. Mm. If you start with details, you're almost guaranteed to lose your audience. Yeah. I, I didn't prep you for this necessarily. I'm going to ask you to recommend a book or two that has impacted you, but I'm also going to ask you to choose books you didn't mention last time. And I'm going to remind you of what those are. So I'm going to challenge you in that sense. And again, I, I didn't prepare you for this. So, so I may be stretching you a little bit here, but uh, one book you mentioned last time was Building a Story Brand by Donald Miller. 
You mentioned Known from Mark Schaefer, the Handbook for Unleashing Your Personal Brand in the Digital Age. And you mentioned Jay Bear and Daniel Lemon's book, Talk Triggers. Correct. You remember that. Uh, any books since then uh, that uh, ha- have impacted you in the last five years that you could heartily recommend? Well, there's one I'm a- that is about to impact me because it just came out this week. And <laughs> it looks like you know twin books from different authors. It's called Simply Put by Ben... Gutman or I have to I have to I, I mean I just ran into it okay. and I looked at what he's it's like holy cow were you were we reading each other's minds I'd never heard of this guy and yeah. we both have these two books coming out and he's talking about the same stuff I am uh it's wonderful I love finding other people mm. who uh are speaking about the need for clear communication um one that is an old classic and i may not have brought up last time but to me from a marketing point of view it's just will never go away Mm. is seth godin's purple cow Mm. and when you talk about having a differentiating message something that is different that sticks in your mind that concept of a purple cow you know, you might be driving along and see thousands of cows in fields and you don't remark about any of them. But boy, if you saw one that was purple, that would stick out in your mind. Mm-hmm. And I have never been able to forget that lesson. Mm-hmm. I think the the ultimate differentiation in communication and branding and identity is you got to have a purple cow because if you don't, you're just background. You're just static. All right. Uh, last question uh, relates to something called personal knowledge management. As, as someone who's writing books, who's giving presentations, who's teaching, who's training and reading from other sources, I'm sure all the time, whether that's books or blogs or listening to podcasts or watching videos, et cetera, uh, you're like the rest of us and you're engaging with information all the time. Some of that information uh, isn't worth remembering, uh, but much of it is things that you want to tweak and twist and turn and, and work into your own things that you're doing. So for you, what do your personal knowledge management practices look like? And I'll give you a little bit of context. The reason I ask this question is I do a cohort called Note Making Mastery with four pillars, collect, connect, crystallize, and create. So being intentional with what you collect and understanding rules like uh, selective ignorance and replacing fear of missing out with the joy of missing out and those kinds of things, connecting new ideas to existing ideas effectively and understanding how to best organize information. We talk about things like crystallizing what you're learning into your own thoughts and ideas and words, and then only using those three as building blocks to create something that is brand new. So when you learn new things, the crux Mm. of my question is this, when you learn new things, how do you make sure, Steve, that those things don't get lost, that they're actually able to be used in work you do down the road? So I would never, ever recommend that anybody follow my lack of process on that (laughs) front. Um, I have tried, uh, you know, I don't have a good system for collection. The reason, one of the reasons why, apart from sheer laziness, is <laughs> that when I'm reading stuff, I am internally making connections and crystallizing immediately mm-hmm. and and sometimes creating immediately. And what ends up happening is not so much collecting an orderly set of inputs as I create outputs quickly. And so both of my books have been a result of blogging and doing workshops and working all this stuff out mm-hmm. into my own format. Mm-hmm. And I can't even point to a system I have as far as uh, you know knowledge management. I'm, I'm a, mm-hmm. it's a complete scattered mess back here. So, <laughs> 
you know, I've I've never wanted anybody to know that secret, but you know, <laughs> there it is. Uh, I just don't have a good, I don't have uh, a good system for for that or for for a lot of other things. Actually, leave it to me to to throw a poor author under the bus <laughs> with that question. Well, uh, you yeah, know, there is value. I, I, one of the things you said, and I think a lot of people probably identify with, and and I certainly do uh, this on occasion, and that's you know, learning something and literally in the moment synthesizing that, crystallizing that, creating from that right then and there. That's something I've never really heard anybody else talk about. And as you said that, I realized, oh, that's, that is something that I sometimes do. It's, it's the exception, not the rule for me, but it does, it does happen. So there are those kinds of people out there where that, you know, like you, where that may be more the norm than, mm-hmm. than the exception. There's nothing, nothing wrong with that. Nothing, nothing to be ashamed about, Steve. Oh, good. I feel better already. <laughs> now I can be a scattered mess back there. But it really, it is it is the norm for me. I have an exceptionally analytical mind, it, ridiculously so. And it, that can be a real downside too. But I will chew on something and not let it go. And one of the things that drove me to write this book was this compulsion that I had. Could there be one system, one recipe, one formula? Because I'd never seen a single formula for clear communications that was universal. And that drove me for, and I never let it go. And all the pieces of it, you know, I've been assembling for years. And so the system, the formula that's in this book is really the output of many, many, many years of trying to fit all these bits and pieces together. Well said. Well, that book again is called The Point, How to Win with Clarity-Fueled Communications. And his name is Steve Woodruff, visit number two on the Read to Lead podcast. Again, you can hear the other conversation, readtoleadpodcast.com slash 243. Steve, thank you so much. All right, Jeff. Really good to talk to you as always. I encourage you to connect with Steve online. I'll have links in today's show notes to connect with him on LinkedIn and X. I'll include the links to the books that he recommended and, of course, his book, plus a link to the Read to Lead community homepage where you can get business book summaries every week, access to exclusive content, and multiple opportunities to learn live each and every month. All of this can be found at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 498 for episode 498. In the coming weeks, you can expect to hear from authors like Gerald J. Leonard, author of A Symphony of Choices. We'll meet with Aliza Licht, author of On Brand. Plus, Jason Van Ruler, Getting Past Your Past is the book he's written. Manage Like a Mother is the book by Valerie Cockrell. And we'll also be talking with Steve Chu, author of The Family First Entrepreneur. That and more on the way in the coming weeks, right here on the Read to Lead podcast. Oh, and also a discussion with Ray Edwards and Jeff Goins about their book, Read This or Die. Well, that does it for this week. Hope to see you next time. Until then, as always, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Read.